Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Revelation 7.14, Revelation 7.14, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the soul cleansing by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a coming attraction to the Jewish people. That's coming, that's coming. And that's prophesied in Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1, when it says, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That's the soul cleansing, the soul cleansing from sin that was first announced, that was first announced by John the Baptist when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time in John 1.29, John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, which cleanses the soul, which cleanses away the sin. See, this soul cleansing is a cleansing of the conscience. It's really called a purging of the conscience. It's a purging of the conscience in Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14. How much more then shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, when the Lord Jesus said to this man, will doubt be made whole, the man had to respond. That was a question. The Lord Jesus didn't just say, I'm gonna make you whole now. He asked him a question, will you be made whole? He wanted to heal the man, the Lord did, clearly, but the Lord would not heal the man until the man reached out to the Lord by faith. So he gives him a command in verse eight. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. The man had to take the first step and obey the command to get up, take his bed, and walk. He had to first believe, and then he obeyed the Lord to get up and walk. That was faith. I mean, I want you to just picture. Picture this man here. He's looking in the face of the Lord Jesus. He's looking. He's hearing the words of the Lord Jesus. He's hearing this invitation. He's hearing. He's thinking about what he said, he's thinking. And then he's believing what he said, he's believing, and then he's rising. That's a picture of Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.1. That man was doing exactly this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, set down the right hand 
of God. For consider, think about, for consider or think about, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. See, these words lay aside every sin. Looking unto Jesus, consider him. Looking into the face of the Lord Jesus, hearing him, thinking about what he said, faith is born. That's when faith was born. That's why he's the author of faith. When he was looking into the face of Jesus and he was hearing what he was saying and he was thinking about it, faith was born in this man and he got up. That's what it means to look unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus and considering him. This all happened to this man because he looked at the Lord Jesus, he heard the Lord Jesus, he considered what the Lord Jesus said and he believed the Lord Jesus. He heard and believed the command, rise. What a word that is, rise. The word rise, it changed his life. It changed his whole life. He had an old life of despair and depression. The word rise brought him a new life of hope and adventure. The word rise said to this man that his life was now to be lifted up, was to rise. The word rise said to this man that his whose spirit had been crushed for 38 years with discouragement, was now to rise into a life of encouragement from the victory and the comfort that the Lord Jesus was giving him. See, the man had lain there slumped on a mattress for 38 years, and now he hears this word, rise, rise, rise. And when Satan hits you, and when Satan hits me, and then hits you again, and hits me again, and then hits again, and you feel flat on your back like this man, the Lord Jesus then comes and says, rise, 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 lift up your head, stand on your feet, enter into all that I've made possible for you by my death and resurrection. See, this one word, rise, is from an old life of doom, which is changed to a new life of a new expectation, a new expectation. Then the Lord Jesus says to him, take up thy bed. And that's strange, you know, why did he tell him to take up his bed? Why would, did he, didn't want someone to steal it or something? Uh, no, I mean, he didn't have to tell him to take up his bed. I mean, after all, the man, he healed the man, so why did he tell the man to take up his bed? It was very significant because of what that bed represented to that man. That bed represented defeat for the man. Every time that man, for the last 38 years, rolled on that bed, he knew that he was beaten down and he could not rise, he couldn't get into the water. And now the Lord tells him, take up your bed. He's saying to the man, remove the bed because you're never gonna lie at this pool again. You're never gonna come back here. Don't even think about it. You should not have any provision for a relapse. He didn't say, okay, you rise, but leave your bed there, you might fall again. No, he says, take it away. When the Lord gives us the victory over what has held us down in a state of defeat, and that state of defeat is like the bed, then the Lord gives a deliverance, and he says, take up your bed, because the bed represents chronic defeat. Chronic defeat, it was a chronic defeat for this man for 38 years. Take up thy bed means Romans 8.37, Romans 8.37. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I mean, just picture this man, just picture him. I mean, maybe the man is putting the mattress on his head and he's walking away and everyone seeing that mattress on his head would say, hey, there's that mattress that he always laid on. He was on that mattress. Now the mattress is on him. He's walking away. And he could say, yep, 
This mattress represents my chronic defeat. Now look at it on my head. I'm carrying it away. There it is. There's the mattress. Everybody can see it. It will no longer hold me down in a state of chronic defeat. I want everyone to see I'm now the master of this bed and what held me here for 38 years. When the Lord Jesus commanded him to rise up, his command was an enabling, was an enabling. And he says, I'm not gonna make any more provision for a relapse. So we could look at the mattress and say, that mattress could be in our life. Our life, is there a mattress that's holding us down in a state of chronic defeat? Time to hear the Lord Jesus say, rise, rise, take up thy bed. He calls us to rise up, be more than a conqueror over it, be master over it, don't make any provision to have a relapse and fall back under the power of sin. He says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. That message, rise, take up thy bed and walk, that's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. Rise, take up thy bed and walk, why? Because to be released from the power of sin, that's deliverance. To be released from the penalty of sin, that's forgiveness. To be released from the defilement of sin, that's cleansing. All because the Lord Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. So not only did he say rise, which changed this man's life from a life of despair to a life of, of hope, not only did he say, take up thy bed, which changes this man's life from a life of defeat and bondage to a life of victory and freedom, but he says, walk, walk. That changes the man's life from a life of uselessness to a life of purpose. Walk, when you walk always means walk with God. Like Abraham walked with God, Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God. They all had lives of walking with God. They had lives, which means they had lives of fellowship with God, friendship with God. They had lives of service with God. Walk suggests all of that. Walk suggests a direction in life. Walk suggests a destiny in life. For him, it meant a life of witness, and he starts off right off the bat in verse 15, John 5:15. John 5:15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. He now's got a purposeful life of witness. He's telling others how he was healed from his sins by the Lord Jesus, and he's telling them how they could be healed of their sins by the Lord Jesus. That's a life of witnessing, that's a new life of purpose. A life of saving people from eternal destruction of hell is a new life of purpose. See, there was that woman with the issue of blood, and she had lived with this for 12 years, and she pushes her way through a crowd when she sees the Lord Jesus, and faith is born in her. She sees, she hears, she considers, she believes. And then that faith now, she reaches out her hand to touch his garment, and that's given to us in Matthew 9.20, Matthew 9.20. Behold, a woman was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, it's a long time, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The hour, and the woman was made whole from that hour. You know, this woman, for 12 years, she had this terrible condition that made her unclean. It made her unsociable. I know what this is like, because in Ethiopia, the women do really work that they shouldn't be doing, carrying very, very heavy loads of rocks and so forth. Breaks down in their pelvic area, and they end up with a condition where they are not able to, they're incontinent, they can't hold urine. 
and they are ostracized from society in Ethiopia. They have to live in a mud hut all alone and dependent on friends to come and to bring them food and so forth because they can't go out in public. And this is similar to this woman. She's got this issue of blood. But what made the difference for her is what she said within herself in Matthew 9.21, Matthew 9.21. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. See, because she said within herself, if I might but touch his garment, I shall be whole. That was her faith. That was her faith. She was made whole, and the Lord Jesus told her the reason when he turned her about in Matthew 9.22, Matthew 9.22, Jesus turned him about when he saw her and said, daughter, be of good cheer. Daughter, he doesn't push her away. Daughter, he says, be of good cheer, good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole. See, the Lord wanted to heal her, but he didn't heal her until she made the first move. She made the first move of faith when she reached out her hand to touch his garment. When she did reach out her hand to the Lord Jesus, she was healed. And the Lord didn't say, well, I just made you whole. He didn't say that. He put all of the responsibility on her for her healing, and he told her, thy faith hath made thee whole. She, of her own free will, she made that decision to reach out to him in faith, and he honored her own free will choice by saying thy faith had made thee whole. The fact that he honored her and her choice shows again, fatalism is not true. She was not predestined, foreordained, or chosen by God to reach out her hand. She made that choice independent of God, to reach out her hand, and God honored her choice. It's another example in Scripture that fatalism's not true. God does not predestinate, foreordain, choose who's gonna decide to reach out to him in faith and be saved. The Lord wanted to heal this man at the pool, but he didn't make the first step until the man made the first move of faith when he got up and took up his bed and walked. Same with the centurion, looked at the Lord Jesus, he heard the Lord Jesus, he considered what he'd been saying, he believed him, and faith was born. Faith was born in the centurion in Matthew 8, 5, Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, imagine this, a centurion is saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come into my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. I say to this man, go, he goeth. And to another, come, he cometh. To my servant, do this, he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to him that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Again, the Lord honored this centurion for his faith in the Lord Jesus. God did not control the centurion to have faith in the Lord Jesus. The centurion's faith came solely from the centurion, and the Lord Jesus honored the centurion for the faith that the centurion had in the power of the Lord Jesus. That's why the Lord Jesus is described in Hebrews 12.2, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author of, and finisher of our faith. All these people looked at the Lord Jesus, they heard him, they considered what he said, and faith was born 
in their hearts because they decided to believe in the power of the Lord Jesus. These two words is what it all boils down to. Look and consider. Look and consider. They're the biggest problem with Jewish evangelism. It's the biggest problem with Jewish evangelism. It's just getting the Jewish people to look and consider the Lord Jesus. God complains about it. He makes a complaint about it in Isaiah 1.3. Isaiah 1.3 when he says, look, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider Those are such tragic words in Isaiah 1.3 when God said, sadness says, my people doth not consider. This paralytic man here, he looked at the Lord Jesus, he heard him, he considered, and he believed. And this looking and considering is kind of a gazing. It's sort of like a gazing. It's not just a little glance. It's not a glancing. It's a gazing. Looking and considering is a gazing at the Lord Jesus. Faith is born as the soul gazes on the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ challenged the man to take that step when he asked him, wilt thou be made whole? Do you really want to be made whole? When the Lord Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole, he was giving the man a promise. If he obeyed, then he would be made whole. And as the man heard the Lord Jesus, faith was born in that man, which is exactly what it means in Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here was the word of God himself. And faith come by hearing the word of God. Just to become saturated with the word of God. That's a good idea. Because when you become saturated with the word of God, we forsake two things. We forsake two things. As it says in Isaiah 55, 7, Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he'll have mercy upon him to our God. He'll abundantly pardon. See, Isaiah 55, 7 teaches that the thought that the Lord Jesus should be despised and rejected, that should be forsaken, and the word of God. The word of God will help a person forsake that thought. Now, we've seen that how there was this critical moment of decision for the woman with the issue of blood. She decided She really did want to be made whole. She made the decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by her faith, she reached out her hand. She really wanted to be made well. And that was what drove her decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus and reach out her hand. There were many obstacles that stood in her way, like the great crowd that she had to push through, like the fact that she was unclean. What are you doing here? But the question for her was, how much did she want to be made whole? And the question for her was, wilt thou be made whole? If so, press your way through the crowd and ignore the fact that they're saying, here comes an unclean woman. And we've seen how this critical moment of decision for the centurion with the sick servant, he really, really wanted his servant to be made whole. And he made the decision to have faith in the power of the Lord Jesus. And by faith, he proclaimed to all that all the Lord Jesus had to do was speak a word and his servant would be healed. The centurion really wanted his servant to be made well. And that's what drove his decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus. And there were many obstacles for that centurion, like him being a Roman Gentile coming to a Jewish Messiah, that's an obstacle. Like the obstacle, he was an officer of the hated, oppressive army that terrorized the Jewish people, and he is now publicly humbling himself before this Jewish person, the Jewish Messiah, that's an obstacle. But that centurion 
pushed his way through all those obstacles. And the question that day for the centurion was, how much do you really want your servant to be made well? The question for the centurion was, wilt thou that your servant be made whole? Then press your way through all your pride, through all your prejudice to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen how there was a critical moment of decision for the friends of that lame man on the, with, on the cot who was lowered through the roof to be in front of the Lord Jesus. I mean, those friends of that lame man had made their decision. They really wanted their friend on the cot to be made whole. And they made their decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, they brought their friend up on the roof. They took apart the roof tiles. They arranged the rope so he didn't break his neck. And they lowered him down so he just would just sort of arrive there in front of the Lord Jesus. Those friends really wanted that man on the cot to be made well, and that was what drove their decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus to heal the man. There were many obstacles, many obstacles that stood the way. The obstacle of the crowd for those people that wouldn't allow them to carry their friend on the cot. The obstacle of getting their friend up on the roof. I don't know how they did that. The obstacle of the roof that had to be taken apart. But those men pushed their way all through all those obstacles because the question for that day, for those people, those friends were, how much do you really want your friend to be made whole? The question is, wilt thou that your friend be made whole? If so, press your way through to the roof, press your way through to take the roof apart, press your way through to lower your friend, have faith in Lord Jesus that he'd heal them. And we've seen how this critical moment of decision for this man that we're looking at here in John 5, this man at the pool of Bethesda who's been paralyzed here for 38 years, when he decided he really did want to be made whole, and he made that decision to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith he obeyed the Lord and rose up and took his bed and walked. He really wanted to be made well, and that drove his decision to have faith. And there were many obstacles for him too, like the obstacle that it just happened to be the Sabbath day, and for him to peck up his bed and walk would be in violation of the traditions of the rabbis, and that would, that would be an obstacle of him being excommunicated from his community, his synagogue community, for working on the Sabbath. But the question for him was, how much do you really want to be made whole? How much do you really want to be made well? The question for the Lord Jesus asked him was, wilt thou be made whole? Then press your way through the traditions of the rabbis and your rejection of your friends and so forth. And that was what was so clear about my Orthodox Jewish friend. He wasn't ready to say yes to the simple question, wilt thou be made whole? Because there's a second part of that question that's unspoken, and it goes like this. Wilt thou be made whole if it means, fill it in. Wilt thou be made whole if it means leaving the synagogue? Wilt thou be made whole if it means being rejected by your family, your friends, and your Jewish community? How much do you really want to be made whole? What price are you willing to pay to be made whole? To be made whole, are you willing to embrace the one who among the Jews is the most despised, the most rejected person, the Lord Jesus Christ? That is encompassed in the Lord's question in verse 6, John 5, 6, wilt thou be made whole? And that's all that's encompassed for anyone who's invited to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wilt thou be made whole? And at what cost? At what cost are you willing to pay to be made whole? The question, wilt thou be made whole, is a question of whether or not a person is really willing to say the words of the hymn, Rock of Ages. 
which is, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So looking to the face of the Lord Jesus is to see and to hear him say, wilt thou be made whole? To listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus is to hear him say, rise up with a certain promise of certainty in John 6.37, John 6.37, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, you ask this question, and then you also say, if you come, I will not cast you out. Thank you for being such a receiving Savior tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 